0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Hey, everyone. Stokoe here. And before things started here with the podcast, I just wanted to talk to you all for a moment. And thank you for listening. If you are looking for bonus episodes of the podcast as well as an ad-free experience, then please do go and check out my Patreon. If you only subscribe for $1 a month, then that is going to give you a bonus episode that is going to release every Friday on Patreon. In addition to that, you're going to get early access for all releases here of the podcast. And simultaneously, depending on what level you become of the patron, there are different bonuses, such as $5, which that allows you to get a video request that you will have made every single month. Anyway... Thank you all here for listening, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Enjoy whatever it is that the episode that you're listening to is now. (laughs) Bye, guys. you here.
1: And I'm Daddy.
0: And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Oh my God. Okay, so I'm not sure how many of you actually follow me on TikTok if you've discovered this for the first time. I'm pretty sure the majority of you heard of me from TikTok, so that's probably where you've seen this stuff in the first place. If you haven't, awesome. That means our reach is growing, which is great. But one of the most common requests that I get are things that I can't really talk all that much about. And so that's really where this podcast comes in handy because I can talk about things that perhaps are, uh ha- Gabby, how would you phrase it? Spicy? Spicy. Yeah, there just we go. Things
1: that if they went up on TikTok, people are A, gonna fight, B, gonna get offended, C, gonna mass report. You know what it is.
0: Oh my God. And there's so many different topics. Like, okay, today's topic, as an example, do you have any idea just how many times it's been requested? I mean, I- I've received so many different requests on TikTok to talk about the Crusades, but I never really could. I mean, okay, technically speaking, I could. But the topic for some, it- it's pretty damn spicy, which in turn could create some, you know, problems for me. Like, it- it's, just, it's just one of those topics that we have to be really careful with, I guess, because, you know, how people are. So,
1: well, the thing is, a lot of people joke about the Crusades. So it's like a really common internet joke. And so there's like a bunch of people joking about it and a bunch of people pissed about it. And I'm just like, ah.
0: Yep. Nope. That is absolutely true. That is that is very true. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Deus Volt memes. Like it, It's some great stuff. Simultaneously, it's hard to separate sometimes between the people who are serious and not.
1: Yeah, that's another thing. I would literally like say it as a joke, and then someone would be like, "Oh yeah, we should wipe, we should wipe them out." I'm like, "What? Wait, what?" Yeah. You said what?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's the reality of it goes, which is why I wanted to take today, and actually not just today, multiple days, because this is going to be a multi part series for it here. I wanted to cover the Crusades, like what exactly are the Crusades, and. What what is a crusade in the first place? Like, what, what 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 does that name mean? So, they get Gabby. What is it? You know? Do you remember anything in regards to the crusades? Like, what's involved?
1: Absolutely not. Here's here's the thing. My coworker and I were actually talking about this today. We learned more of like Asian history. So like we were literally there looking at maps of the Balkans and the Baltics, and both of us were like, "Yeah, we we wouldn't know this because even in like AP World in the US, like I learned like a lot of East and Hemisphere stuff. I get it. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's fine. It's fine. So let me start this from the beginning. Okay. So the Crusades were a series of religious wars that occurred between Christians and Muslims that were primarily in order to secure the holy sites that were considered sacred by both groups, you know, Jerusalem, that kind of thing. And so there were eight major crusade expeditions that occurred between the year of 1096 and and 1291 but these were bloody naturally i mean it's kind of the whole point their war but it could be incredibly violent they were ruthless and it really propelled the status of european christians into it made them major players in the region because before you had all these italian merchants in the area but this really got christendom as we imagine it involved in much greater, I'm going to use the term world politics, but it's world politics as they would have thought of it. It's more regional politics as how we associate now with a more globalized world. And so they fought for land in the Middle East as well as control of these Eastern markets. So we're talking religion, money, power, prestige. It's all the perfect recipe for conflict. But the Crusades are a conflict that many people have either a... How should I put this? It's like what we talked about earlier in here. They either have a romanticized view of it as something grand or great, or a completely demonized view of where it's just something completely evil. And so few people really understand that the conflict as a whole was incredibly varied. And there's a lot of context that is missing. Most of us really only have the understanding of deus Volt. That's it. It's either deus Volt bad or deus Volt yay.
1: Pretty much, yeah, like that's my understanding too. Like they had helmets, um, religion was <laughs> yeah. involved, and someone drowned in a river. And that's like it. That's oh, all my God. knowledge.
0: I cannot wait till we get to that one section actually here. I know how much you loved it.
1: Loved is such a strong, incorrect word. Fascinated
0: <laughs> by, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's look at this from the beginning. The first and most important action to spark off the thing, like what would light the fire that would eventually burn to the ground, basically the entirety of the Middle East uh, and create the explosion of the First Crusade. That was the rise of the Muslim Seljuks. So the Seljuks were a Turkish tribe from the steppes. And they won very significant victories in asia minor against the byzantine armies notably at the battle of manzikert which was in ancient armenia in august of 1071 and as a consequence of that battle they gained control of many of the great cities of the area such as edessa and then also antioch which was in 1078 and from this the seljuks created the sultanate of rome which was rome it was literally the sultanate of rome because we call the Byzantines, the Byzantines, but that's a very modern invention. At the time, it was the Eastern Roman Empire, or specifically the Roman Empire, because we, we think about it now of like, oh, the Roman Empire ceased to exist in the four hundreds, like A.D. But no, technically speaking, it went all the way until the uh, what would be the term, the fifteenth century, fourteen fifty three, if I recall correctly. That is the year that Constantinople was conquered and the Byzantines were wiped out. So Rome existed all the way until that time, and arguably up until the Battle of Manzikert, while they were weakened, they were still very strong, at least relatively speaking. And so by 1087, the Seljuks had taken all of this territory and had even taken Jerusalem. So the Byzantine Emperor Alexios I Komnenos, who ruled from 1081 all the way till 1118, he realized that the Seljuk expansion into the Holy Land was a chance, I mean it was bad, but it was a chance to gain the help of the Western armies in his battle to control Asia Minor and this other region. And consequently, he appealed to the West for soldiers in March of 1095. The appeal was sent to Pope Urban II, who ruled as pope from 1088 to 1099 and this guy was remarkably responsive so he responded along with thousands of european knights you see pope urban ii had already sent troops to help the byzantines in 1091 against the uh against the pencheg steppe nomads who were already invading from north of the danube area in the empire and he was again going to bring assistance for Varying reasons, I'm gonna put it. So a crusade to bring back the holy land under Christian control was the goal. Like, I mean that that's pretty much what you want. Like literally every joke that we ever see is like, we must take Jerusalem.
1: Okay, why did both religions consider it their holy land and not the others?
0: They're Abrahamic faiths. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Well, I mean, technically speaking, from that, Islam and Jude- and Christianity stem from Judaism at least that's the idea so both are Abrahamic faiths they're from the ideas of Abraham that's why we call them Abrahamic faiths.
1: that kind of clears it up but that's still
0: oh no they're still Can they
1: just divided in half?
0: so wait you're talking about them creating uh Israel with Palestine again
1: no I was just really hoping they could share.
0: So Israel with Palestine oh, again. Yeah, you see where there's a bit of a problem here that uh, continuously would happen for centuries. People are... um, How should I put this? I've studied history. I've studied history for many years. People in general can be pretty awful to one another. That's just... That's kind of the story of humanity itself. So that, that, that is what it is. So pope urban had gone to help the byzantines before and he was again going to help them because a they wanted to bring back the holy land under christian control like that was the main goal but what better way to protect the important sites of the tomb of jesus christ the holy sepulcher of Jeru- of jerusalem and all the christians living there or visiting the pril- pilgrimage than to send military forces because after all they were going to require protection and there would be very um useful benefits from this i should say like we're looking at this from a religious lens because a crusade is a religious war but there's a lot of political and financial reasons to do this in the first place because let's look at it this way a crusade was going to increase the prestige of the papacy as it led a combined western army and would consolidate its position in italy itself having experienced serious threats from the Holy Roman Emperors in the previous centuries, which had even forced the popes to relocate away from Rome. Urban II also hoped to make himself the head of the United Western, which was Catholic, and Eastern, which was Orthodox Christian Church, above the Patriarch of Constantinople. The two churches had been split since 1054 in what would be referred to as the Great Schism over disagreements about doctrine and liturgical practices and this sort of thing. In, in case anyone was concerned, a campaign of violence could be justified by references to particular passages in the Bible, emphasizing that this was a fight for liberation, not attacking, and that the objectives were righteous. Because of course, there's this whole aspect of Christianity and pacifism, like you're literally not supposed to kill, you're not supposed to do any of this, it doesn't matter the reason, you're just not supposed to do so. But over time, like, it, it, it changed. how much do you know about early christianity
1: it was early okay and oh 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 oh, was this did christianity found after jesus died
0: technically yes
1: okay that's it i did actually go to christian school and i've taken both old and new testament but i know nothing
0: okay do you remember this how did the early christians really earn the hatred of the romans in the beginning
1: I don't know. Oh my god, I don't know. Oh, oh sh- were they like? It wasn't because they were preaching about Jesus like all the time, and they were really pissed that they killed him.
0: Well, no, it's not really be, uh, being uh, keen. Not keen. What's the word? It's not that they were necessarily pissed about him being killed. I mean, he kind of had to be killed. That was the whole point. That's how he became a savior. But the the idea of it was two reasons, two big primary driving reasons. First, is that you have a monotheistic monotheistic faith, god like there are no other gods there is just god so all the roman gods were not real which is a really big insult to the people that are ruling your country
1: couldn't they just do exactly what my hindu family did when christian ministries came to trinidad and just added their god into the roster
0: that's what the romans at first did they literally that was so
1: why did they fight
0: oh my god because the christians were like no that's not the case like this is the one god your gods don't exist
1: yo my family still prays to like everyone you know it's like multicultural multi-religious super diverse
0: all right the second reason that comes from that is so a your gods don't exist and b christians would not fight which doesn't sound bad like what why is that a problem well the roman military you you needed people to fight like they they refused to serve in the army they refused to serve in war like they would not fight which meant that the more people that converted to this faith the less soldiers that you would have therefore that's really bad because they needed soldiers to defend the empire so Christianity had to be stamped out because A it was insulting and B it would literally be detrimental to the empire to have people that wouldn't defend it like there were all those stories of the early martyrs of like these Christians being thrown into the Colosseum and being eaten by animals and just not resisting That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Like they would just let themselves be killed because that's how you achieved martyrdom.
1: That doesn't sound fun. Like that doesn't no. sound. I mean. I went to Christian school and at no point would I let a lion eat me. You know?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So. This this all goes on. They have a whole split in the church. there There's the split between the like before Christianity was just Christianity, but there were differences between the Eastern and Western Church. And then that's really where you started to see you have the Catholic Church, and then you have the Eastern Orthodox Church. And that, that that's where that is. So on the 27th of November in 1095, Urban II called for a crusade in a speech during the Council of Clermont in France. The message, known as the indulgence, and aimed specifically at knights, was very loud and very clear. Those who went to defend Christendom would be embarking on a pilgrimage, and so all of their sins would be washed away, and their souls would reap just stupidly untold riches in the next life. Urban II then embarked on a preaching tour in France during 1095-1096 to 1096 in order to recruit crusaders, where his message was spiced up with just... So many different details about how, at that very moment, the Christian monuments in Jerusalem were being defiled, the Christian believers were being persecuted, and they were being tortured by all of these Muslim heathens. Which, really, generally speaking, like, yes, there were some people who did that. Like, it's the medieval world. That is a thing that happens, but it wasn't really happening like that. Like, th- th- that's just what they would use as a kind of propaganda tool. But this is what you did to rile up religious believers. Like, the same thing would happen in Islamic cities and other faiths. That's just, that's kind of how the world works. So, following Pope Urban's speech, preparations began in both the East and the West. Emperor Alexius, who had really anticipated the mustering of some sort of auxiliary force, you know, something that would have been able to help him, but it wasn't necessarily a major army just troops that would have been able to supplant his own he did not expect that there was going to be this massive influx of warriors in the west all these leaders began to assemble their armies those who took the cross quote unquote they sought to raise money often by selling or mortgaging their property both for the immediate purchase of equipment and also to pay for the journey to get there
1: are you joking No,
0: no 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 I- i'm not kidding so you had all of these nobles, right? All these people that are not necessarily wealthy, but they are decently well off, but not enough that they could pay for a literally massive... It, okay, it's like if you and I right now at this very moment decided we're gonna m- get a second mortgage on our house and we're going on a massive world-spanning tour. And I say world-spanning because we're gonna hit up all these countries. We have to travel repeatedly. We're not just doing a one flight there and back. Can we do that?
1: Now that you bring it up.
0: Oh my god! You will see towards the end of this why that was a very, very bad idea for a lot of them.
1: They got rid of their assets. Obviously, it was a bad idea.
0: Well, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, let's see where, where where was I for here? They they got this mortgage. They they got all this equipment, and then there were embassies that were sent, and letters that were dispatched all over Christianity major churches such as those at Limoges, Angers, Tours, like France was really big the majority of recruitment from the crusade like where a lot of this came from specifically was France so these were recruitment centers for them and many of these rural churches and especially monasteries called for people to take the cross where people would swear an oath in order to become a crusader And then they would wear a cross on their shoulder in order to proclaim that, you know, they were a crusader. This was their obligation. Like, it was an amazing success. All across Europe, warriors were just stirred by notions of religious fervor, personal salvation, pilgrimage, adventure. Also a desire for material wealth. You know, that's, you know, it just, it is what it is.
1: Question for you, would you have gone? I mean, probably. Really? You know, at
0: that time for it here, that's probably something that I would have ended up doing.
1: That's such a basic answer, Steven. I expect better from you.
0: If it's the me now, then no, obviously. But if it's how I would have been then, probably. Like, you don't understand just how many people this took up, right?
1: What about their families?
0: Oh, that entirely depends. Some of them took them with them. Some of them left them. They took
1: their families. This is wild.
0: Are you familiar with the term a porter? No. Okay, so a porter or a camp aide or camp follower, it was the the people who worked to support an army as it was moving. Oftentimes, this was literally the family of the soldiers. So I want you to think about this. You have an army that is moving. You have a bunch of soldiers who have clothing. They need food cooked. They need all this. Are the soldiers doing all of it themselves? This is before any kind of technology. This is before i see any kind of technology
1: i would have thought so because the idea of a soldier taking like their wife oh my gosh do you remember the movie spartacus it makes so much
0: sense now what do you mean
1: uh there was like this movie spartacus that i watched as a kid where like everybody died at the end but like their families were there with them in tents and they were like traveling but the battle would be somewhere far away from the camp so they would go to battle and then like his wife was giving birth and then they had a kid but he got murdered the exact moment his Son was born and it was really weird, but I always was super confused why his family was living in a tent. Yes, okay, oh, no, that's. I was like five when I watched this, so like, it's that core memory that I should not have?
0: No, that's really part of it here. Okay, so here's essentially how it worked: you'd have a lot of women, typically, and also men, but a lot of women that would follow the camps, and they would be the camp aides, the followers. So they would do the cl- the cleaning, the sewing, the cooking. They would. All the, they, you'd have merchants too that would follow the camps and would sell goods to the soldiers. That, that, that's how people function because you didn't have modern supply lines. You didn't have all these things. And so the departure date of this big massive group was set for the 15th of August that year in 1066, or it's not 1066, 1096. And so around 60 thousand Crusaders, including some 6,000 knights, would be involved in the first waves. The Seljuk Muslims who had taken control of most of Asia Minor and northern Syria in the latter decades of the 11th century were suffering from their own kinds of problems before the Crusaders ever arrived. So they were in conflict with their bitter rivals, the Shiite Fatimids, who were based in Egypt. The Sunni Seljuk Muslims had wrested Jerusalem from them, so like they took it over. But a serious blow to Seljuk ambitions came in the death of the powerful Seljuk Sultan uh, Malik Shah in 1092, which produced a scramble for power by various local lords with none really gaining supremacy. So this severely weakened and decentralized the Seljuk authority. Further, the Seljuk base, which was in Baghdad, was a very long way from the battles which would occur in the first century. And so there was very little centralized support or management of the war. Adding to this, the Shiite Muslims managed to recapture control of Jerusalem uh, from Jerusalem only a few months before the Crusaders actually arrived on the scene. So both groups of Muslims were more than likely just completely unaware of the religious aspect, I guess, that the Crusaders quest had and why they there were any different from, you know, the usual Byzantine raiding parties and that kind of thing. But the knights from the West were not there to rape. They were there in the Levant for permanent. Now, I'm going to use the air quotes when I say that. Permanent conquest. They were there to stay.
1: Okay, were they planning on killing everyone? Coexisting after they took it over forcefully? What what was was the
0: plan? Well, to take it. I mean, th- th- there's different aspects that happen in here. And it's very interesting that you bring up the whole thing about, you know, killing everyone and living. In o- we're going to get to all that. There's... there's
1: a lot of ways you can occupy something.
0: Yes, there is. And a lot of different things happen here. But before we get to occupation and what actually happened after the fact, I guess you could say, we need to tell the story of some of the people who went. So one of these guys was a man by the name of Peter the Hermit. He led what was called the um, the People's Crusade. So ironically, and I guess despite the Pope's deliberate intentions to appeal to, you know, specifically knights and warriors and, you know, the actual fighters that the Byzantine Emperor had asked for, a lot of the people were very you know they're like this is huge the pope is calling us to crusade we need to crusade we need to do this a lot of common people with literally no combat experience were like yeah i'm gonna do it." imagine imagine if you will this whole thing that's going on with russia and ukraine right and tens of thousands of regular people i mean just regular dirt poor no experience people from countries surrounding ukraine just started pouring into ukraine to fight russia how do you think that would go? Great. Harley. <laughs> I'm going to let you think on that here. I'm sorry. What was the question? Oh, my God. So you got a bunch of people with no combat experience. No ability, just regular.
1: Oh, yeah. That's why Ukraine isn't accepting any um, foreign legion without combat experience, because it would go
0: horribly. You got Bob from accounting that's decided to put down his... Uh, his pen and take up his (laughs) calculator
1: his calculator he's an accountant bro stick to the right story okay fine
0: fine 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 so you had a lot of these people that were very what's the term i should use they were keen on crusading and the first major group of these was the people's army which was a very mixed group of poor just regular people and petty knights petty knights would be like knights from very minor noble families they didn't really have much money or support behind them they were poor or they were knights who they had some of the equipment but they didn't have any of the land or anything to actually support it they were almost like mercenary knights i guess you could say like they 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 didn't really have someone to properly serve so they were led by the preacher peter the hermit and the knight walter the penniless and these guys were i mean they were charismatic they were passionate peter appealed not just to a select portion of the people who were you know actually ready to travel and fight but all christians instead we're talking men women the children elderly nobles commoners even just serfs like people who were not supposed to leave their land and are because legally they were bound to it his enthralling sermons would fire the religious zeal of his listeners and many people were not only resolved you know go on crusade but to go now like right now it's like if like this would be the equivalent of oh i just saw a video on youtube of like an apartment building in ukraine getting blown up so i just booked a flight we're going we're going right now
1: that was also my reaction to it if i can't fight and also i think my passport expired
0: that's your great concern with this
1: yeah do i need a passport
0: yeah i mean to be fair you do oh to be fair you, you would still need a passport
1: i don't know if i'm gonna help them maybe they could just let me go
0: <laughs> so these guys they were not just gonna go they were gonna go now like right then and there the fact that they had very little food even less money and no military experience whatsoever that did not stop them at all because they believed that they were on a holy mission and and that God was gonna provide for them.
1: Was He gonna give them manna in the desert? I mean, that, desert?
0: literally, that was the idea at some point was here. he they,
1: Were they gonna pour it around um, Jerusalem seven times, and then it would like collapse and they would <laughs> take it over?
0: I shit you not. That was. Do you li- know
1: exactly what I'm calling I when know they took exactly Canaan, what you're talking about yeah, here. Yeah,
0: cool. Oh my god. I remember reading that as a kid and just thinking, like, really?
1: do you think that's how that went is there any biblical is there anything outside of the bible that show that that actual like conquest happened like when they took over that city
0: i don't think there is but you know what they usually in history religious things attribute real life phenomena with religious explanations
1: where would so. i find some primary sources that could potentially even kind you know of be? hint at it because i would love to look
0: okay but you know what it could be like for real because this is something an people earthquake about. yes an earthquake that
1: i I, I know that was my theory as a kid like maybe they walked really hard and an earthquake happened at the right time
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no you have no idea throughout history there was at one point battles where this you know eclipses and stuff happened that at the did exact happen in the
1: bible too that that did happen in. i forgot exactly what story but that did happen in the bible as well um i'm pretty sure it was old testament usually those things happened in the old testament and obviously they didn't have explanations for it so it was like you
0: know yes so that's where a lot of that comes from here and so the this leader this guy that we're talking about peter he had earlier been on a pilgrim to the holy land where he had actually been captured by muslims and was tortured so now was his chance for revenge so in march of 19 or 19 1096. Bands of pilgrims began to journey eastward through France and Germany on their way to the Holy Land. Most of them followed an ancient road of pilgrimage that ran along the Danube River uh, into Hungary and then south into the Byzantine Empire and its capital of Constantinople. And there they expected to either cross the Bosphorus to territory controlled by the Turks in Asia Minor or just like be transported away to somewhere else. And so the first to leave France was Walter Sans-Avois, who had commanded a retinue of eight knights and a large company of infantry. They proceeded with surprisingly little incident along the old pilgrim route, only encountering any real trouble when they got to Belgrade and they got to uh, foraging. And that got a little bit out of hand. So I got to ask you this now, Gabby. Do you know what foraging is?
1: Yeah, searching for food.
0: Okay. Now, in the historical context of an army... Do you know what foraging is? No. It's the same thing, except you're not going just into the woods. You're basically going around to any local farms and stuff that are in the area and just taking their shit.
1: You're just grabbing their food?
0: Basically, yeah. I I kid you not, foraging at this point, like, for an army, was... the, The idea was, usually you were not marching through friendly territory... You were marching through enemy territory. So if England invaded France, which it did, of course, during the Hundred Years' War, and you had an army that was moving through the French countryside, it was foraging for food to sustain itself. And the way it would do that is it didn't buy food from the locals. It would take it. that That's what you would do. You would burn down the farms and you would take the food.
1: I don't like that, but I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. They literally left everything. What else were they supposed
0: to do? They literally had no supplies.
1: Like, I'm not excusing it, but I understand it.
0: So it was really bad, and people started to get, of course, really mad at them, naturally. And so their early arrival in Constantinople in July just it took the Byzantines completely by surprise. They did not know that this was going to be happening. They had no time to prepare because they thought that the crusading, like the force, was not going to arrive for several more months like they literally did not know that this was happening so they didn't have any of the supplies they didn't have any of the shelter they didn't have anything it was it was like if your in-laws suddenly showed up except your in-laws also brought like the extended family too, that you just did not anticipate like all the ratty bratty children that have never been raised properly
1: that sounds awful
0: yes exactly so more bands of crusaders would coalesce around peter the hermit who followed not behind walter and his men greater in number but way less disciplined, peter's followers encountered more trouble we should say in the balkans did archaeologists discover noah's ark is the rapture coming as soon as the euphrates river dries up does the bible condemn abortion Don't you wish you had a trustworthy academic resource to help make sense of all of this? Well, I'm Dan Beecher, and he's award-winning Bible scholar and TikTok sensation, Dr. Dan McClellan. And we want to invite you to the Data Over Dogma podcast. Where our mission is to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and also to combat the spread of misinformation about the same. But, you know, in a fun way. Every week we tackle fascinating topics. We go back to source materials in their original languages. And we interview top scholars in the field. So whether you're a devout believer. Or you're just interested in a clear-eyed, deeply informed look at one of the most influential books of all time. We think you're going to love the Data Over Dogma podcast. Wherever you subscribe to awesome shows. So at Zemun, the last town in Hungary before reaching the Byzantine border, there was a riot that broke out and many Hungarians got killed. The Crusaders wanted to escape punishment by crossing the Sava River into Byzantium, and then when the Byzantine forces tried to stop them, this resulted in violence. So when Peter's followers got to Belgrade, they found it deserted. They probably sacked it in their ongoing quest for food, because again, they literally had nothing. And at nearby Nish, the uh, government—not government—the governor allowed them to exchange hostages for supplies, and the town almost escaped without damage until some Germans went and set fire to it. Specifically, they set fire to some mills as the company was leaving, and so the governor then sent troops to attract uh, to attack the retreating Crusaders. And although Peter ordered them to not do anything. Many of his followers then turned around to face the attackers to fight and were then just cut down. (laughs) It was just so pointless. And so eventually they reached Constantinople without any more incidents, but the People's Crusade had lost many of the participants and the funds and food and literally everything. But like by the time that they got there, they had inflicted serious damage on all of the lands that was between their homes that they came from and byzantium itself
1: okay wait so this first crusade was just people's crusade
0: yes th- this is there's this is still the first crusade but we're not talking about the crusaders force right we're talking about people calling themselves the crusaders force who or a crusaders force that is just a shit ton of pes- imagine if you will of a protest right imagine a protest in a city except when they're marching they just continued marching like, they they continue to march from Washington, D.C., where they were initially... Actually, no. That would be a bad one. The protest starts in, like, Raleigh, North Carolina, and then it marches all the way up to Washington, D.C. And the entire time that this protest is marching, they need food and other so supplies. they're just foraging? So they're just stealing and butchering and attacking people as they go until they actually get to Washington, D.C.,
1: That actually sounds awful.
0: Yeah, that's literally what this was. Okay, so what happens next? Okay, so this is where it gets bad, if it wasn't already bad before. So many of the bands of pilgrims that were following after Peter didn't actually make it to the Holy Land. Some of them faltered, they turned back, others got sidetracked, and they got sidetracked in some of the most horrific pogroms in medieval historical like in history do you know what a pogrom is
1: absolutely not I can google it as we speak but I'm not even going to lie to you I've never heard that word before in my life
0: I'm going to explain it so I wouldn't necessarily recommend that so the word pogrom is an organized massacre of a particular ethnic group and in particular this was like referring to the Jewish people Of Russia and Eastern Europe. No, you say again. Yes, this is quite literally was referred to as the first Holocaust.
1: You have got to be kidding me. That happened multiple times?
0: Oh, throughout all of history. Literally throughout all of history. The different groups have been attacked and the Jews especially got it worse than the others.
1: Multiple times?
0: Many, 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 many times in different cities all across the world.
1: What did they do that was that bad?
0: It depends on where it was, but you'd see most of the time, they wouldn't have necessarily done anything, and and I'll explain this.
1: How have I never heard of this? This is crazy.
0: Okay, so the speeches that Pope Urban had given before, him, and like Peter the Hermit, and others that were like him, they stirred up even more of this pious belief to see the Holy Land. And Urban's appeal to the warrior elite had painted Muslims as enemies of Christ, being subhuman... Being just general awful, like they had to be conquered. Peter's speeches as a general, just like priest on the ground speaking to the common people, those were even way those were way more fiery. And so from this viewpoint, it was a really small step of seeing, you know, they they were talking about Muslims to seeing Jews in a similar light. It was really all too common a belief that Jews had not only killed Jesus, but they were a threat continuously to good Christians, like to Christians in general. Added to this was the fact that some Jews were very prosperous and they made the perfect target for greedy lords who would use their followers to massacre entire Jewish communities and then plunder their wealth because they were rich. Like, okay, you know how we have those stereotypes now of Jews being wealthy or elites or power like that's literally still a stereotype, right? Yes. That has existed for... over a thousand years.
1: Isn't it because of the banks, they were the only ones that were able to actually hand out loans and collect interest, but other Mm. religions were not able to actually do that because it was against the religion to collect interest?
0: That is one of the key reasons. Okay, so essentially what you had is, for those of you who don't know, is that Jews not being Christians would allow them to have jobs that Christians were not supposed to have. So the reason why you'd see all the stuff of Jewish bankers and that sort of thing is because jews would go into finance and charge interest this was referred to as usury, because that's how a bank grows that's how its business grows that's how it has more money to loan out to more people is that it charges interest if banks didn't charge interest if you borrowed a thousand dollars and then returned a thousand dollars there's literally no reason for the bank to do this because they will eventually they'll get someone who decides to not pay back the thousand dollars. And then now next time that bank has less money to loan out like they, they don't have anything. So this is why people would charge interest or, you know, they would do usury in order to make that financially viable. Christians were legally forbidden from usury; They could not charge interest. Is
1: it because of something in the Bible or that they just decided it was kind of mean?
0: I, I'm pretty sure it was something that was tied to. I cannot remember the exact reason. I'm pretty sure it was tied to money changers. It, it tied back to the initial like, oh, Jesus driving the uh, the money lenders and the money exchangers out of the, the temple. Yeah, like he like he drove the merchants out of the temple. And I'm pretty sure it goes back to that, but I cannot remember the exact. If
1: anybody reason. knows the answer to that? Please put it in Discord or somewhere where I'll see it because I need to know.
0: Yeah. So, effectively, through the centuries, they would see these Jews get really wealthy, really powerful, and they would not like that because they were Jews. They weren't Christians. Christians were were.
1: They were literally like, you know, when people are like, oh, people don't like to see you win? Literally, everybody who was mad that they got wealthy and powerful just didn't want to see them win.
0: Yes, literally, it's that. And so, this then created the events of what some people have called the first Holocaust. So from May to July, pogroms occurred at cities like Spire, Worm, Mainz, Cologne. And in some cases, you had the bishops of the town, or local Christians, or maybe both, who would shelter their neighbors. And so this was successful at Speyer, but it proved to not really work out in other of the towns in Germany. And so the attackers would sometimes demand that the Jews had to convert to Christianity on the spot or else they would lose their lives. And not only did people refuse to convert, but there were even a number of cases where these Jews would kill their children and then themselves, rather than die at the hands of the people that were torturing them. And so the most notorious of these anti-Jewish crusades was a man by the name of Count Emiko of Leningen, or Leningen. I'm actually not sure how I would say that, but so he was he was definitely responsible for the attacks on Mainz and cologne and he may have had a hand in the earlier massacres but after all this bloodshed along the rhine was over emiko then led his forces onward to hungary but these guys people they knew who he was and so they didn't let him actually pass and so after three weeks of laying siege his forces were just crushed and he was forced to go home in disgrace so he did all the stuff to build up the crusade and then just was an absolute total dick and was not let to do anything now admittedly these things happened they were bad but they were decried by Christians of the day like people people did all these horrible things but it wasn't like everyone was like yeah yeah let's do yeah they deserve yeah get rid of no that the majority of people still were like against this that these were violent extremist people who had done so and because of these events people even pointed out later that these crimes are probably the reason why God would forsake their fellow Crusaders during later battles because they were just so horrible and so these first people that arrived were described by Anna Komenna with who she lived from 1083 to 1153 she was a historian and she was also the daughter of the Byzantine Emperor uh, in her thing called the Alexiad. And she quotes, and I say, those Frankish soldiers were accompanied by an unarmed host, more numerous than the sand or the stars, carrying palms and crosses on their shoulders, women and children too, some away from their countries. Not some, come away from their countries. There, were, there was a lot of people. I think she described it, if I recall correctly, words as uh, more numerous than the sands of the shore or the stars of the sky. Just pe- just droves upon droves upon droves of people showing up here. And so by the time that Peter the Hermit arrives in Constantinople, Walter of Wa and his army had been waiting there for weeks. Emperor Alexius convinced Peter and Walter that they needed to wait in Constantinople until the main body of crusaders who were still massing in Europe under powerful, you know, noble commanders would arrive. But their followers were not happy with that decision. They had undergone a very long journey, and many trials to get there, and god damn it, they were eager for action and glory. They were gonna do this shit. Furthermore, there actually wasn't enough food or supplies for everyone. <laughs> and forging and theft was rampant. And so after less than a week of arriving, Alexius, the Emperor, just ferried them over across the Bosphorus into Asia Minor, <laughs> and just you know, like, okay, okay, so we're tired of your shit. Just go. just literally pushed them over to the other side of the strait. And so now, the Crusaders were in a truly hostile territory where there was very little food or water or really any kind of supplies to be found. They had no plan for how to actually proceed. And they very quickly then began to fight amongst each other. Eventually, Peter would return to Constantinople in order to beg for help from Alexius, and the People's Crusade then broke into two groups, one primarily that was made up of Germans and a few Italians, and the other which was made of French people. And towards the end of September, the French Crusaders did manage to loot a suburb of, like, Nicaea, and the Germans decided to do the same. Unfortunately, Turkish forces expected another attack, and they surrounded the German Crusaders, who managed to take refuge inside the fortress at Zergordon. And after eight days, the Crusaders surrendered. Those who did not convert Islam on the spot were killed. And those who did convert were enslaved and then sent eastward, never to be heard from again. The Turks at this point did something super sneaky. So they forged this message and sent it over to the French Crusaders, telling them like, oh my God, we found all these riches. This is great. This is amazing yeah you all should totally come here because we found so much good stuff and like idiots they took the bait the french rushed on and got ambushed at a place called Civitat where every single crusader was then massacred like they just got slaughtered the people's crusade was over now Peter considered returning home but instead he remained in Constantinople until the main body of the more organized crusading force would arrive because yeah no they were they were in bad shape at that point it was it was not exactly what you would call a good start you know what I mean
1: yes but okay so this this first and this first part that we covered was just the people
0: that's just the people this is not the first crusade
1: so they did all of that to the um Jewish people and it was yes. just regular people yes. being awful. Yes. That's great. I hate that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: So then the actual force, please tell me they were not as cruel, right. but they they will be, right? They probably will no, be.
0: There, there's a lot of details. There's a lot of great, I say great area. There's a lot of bad, there's a lot of, I'm going to say, I can't say good, but things happen. All right, well, we'll put it that way. Things happen. So the second wave of crusaders, this time that was composed of more, you know, actual nobility and the knights and the professional warriors, They arrive in Constantinople in the autumn and winter of 1096 and the second batch was not really much of an improvement as far as the Byzantines were concerned, because it included amongst its leaders an old enemy, the Normand Boromund of Toronto, or Tarnto. He and his father, Robert Giscard the Crafty, also known as the Fox, which oh my god, I could do an entire story on that guy because it's insane. So he was the Duke of Apulia, and he was attacking Greece, which was controlled by the Byzantines, between the periods of 1081 and 1084, just for years. Like, the Normans, the Normans were a pain in the ass for everyone at that time. <laughs> and so in 1097, Bowman and his knights arrived in Constantinople, with initially things going pretty well, and the Normans swore allegiance to the emperor, along with the other crusader leaders, such as Godfrey of Boulogne, Uh, the Duke of Lower Lorraine and Raymond IV, a.k.a. Raymond of uh, St. Giles, who was Count of Toulouse. There were many more very famous people in here, and each one commanded their own contingent of knights, not to mention, you know, they had practical issues. (laughs) The fact that we're talking the french we're talking the germanic peoples we're talking we're, we're talking all these different groups right so they speak different languages they, they had all these noble conflicts between one another from old rivalries it, it wasn't exactly the best cohesive force and so arguably it was a miracle that the force did anything at all and even got there in the first place and their success would surprise everyone So Alexius would go on to use the Crusaders pretty well, despite the uh, rape and the pillage and the just general crimes that were perpetrated by the uh, less pious people of these armies, which were causing chaos, as we said, all across Europe and the Empire's territory. The Normans were very keen to defeat the Seljuks and establish some new kingdoms of their own, and Alexius may well have gone along with this plan, as such kingdoms might prove to be a useful buffer on the Empire's border. With a mixed force of crusaders, Alexios' army, commanded by the Byzantine General uh, Tacticals, thus managed to recapture Nicaea in June of 1097, although the soldiers had in reality preferred to abandon it rather than fight, you know, of what was more likely going to be a lost battle and go to fight another day. Next, they swept on over the Anatolian Plain and they won a great victory at Dorleon on the 1st of July in 1097. The Crusader Byzantine army then split up in September of 1097, with one army moving on to Edessa, further to the east, and another going to Cilicia in the southeast. The main body headed for Antioch in Syria, the key to the Euphrates. Now, this great city was one of the five patriarchal seats of the Christian church, and was once home to St. Paul and Peter and the probable birthplace of St. Luke. It was it was a really big deal like to claim antioch was a really big deal and needed to be done although it was well fortified and really too big to fully encircle antioch was the big capture that they made on the 3rd of june in 1098 after an arduous eight month siege where the attackers themselves would come under siege from a muslim force that came to reinforce from Mosul. The crusaders also suffered from things like plague, famine, just people deserting. Unfortunately, Alexios, the Byzantine emperor, on his way to support the siege of the city, he met refugees from the area who wrongly informed him that the crusades were actually on the brink of defeat to the huge Muslim army that had showed up. And so the emperor went, okay, well, I can't actually do anything. And he returned home because he wasn't going to let his entire army be destroyed over some, you know, Western European savages. So he does, th- he does this. And then Bollemund was not happy, to say lightly, that he was been a- had been abandoned by the Byzantines. Even if he did capture the city anyway and defeat a relief force, he, like, all bets were off. The Normans then decided to renege on the vow of returning all captured territory to the emperor and decided to just keep the city for himself. This really damaged things because before they had this agreement, basically, any territory that was Byzantine at the time, like when it was captured from the Seljuks, would be given back to the Byzantines. Anything else that was captured was free game. And the Normans said, well, F it. If you're not gonna protect us or help us, then no, all of it is ours. You go screw yourself, bye. And that's, that's pretty much what it is that they did. So in December of 1098, the Crusader army marched onwards to Jerusalem. They captured many different Syrian port cities on the way, and they arrived finally at their ultimate destination on the 7th of June, 1099. Of the vast army that had left Europe, which remember, we're talking 60,000 people. There was now only around 1,300 knights and around 12 and a half thousand infantry. Like almost a fifth of the numbers and they were finally at the target that they were trying to reach from the very beginning. Now, Jerusalem itself was protected by massive walls and a combination of a moat, precipices, etc. It was going to be a pretty tough thing to actually break. Fortunately, a number of Genoese ships arrived just at the right moment with timber, which was then used to make two siege towers, some catapults, and a battering ram. Despite the weapons, the defenders really resisted the siege, Although the Muslim garrison was remarkably reluctant to break out and make raids on the besiegers, which honestly would have been the smarter move. It's called sallying at that point. And what they do is you send out small contingents of forces that will go out and raid the camps, disrupt, basically make life hell for those that are trying to siege. So they don't take any, you know, raids. And then in mid-July, Godfrey of Bouillon decided to attack what he thought looked like a pretty weak section of the wall. He set up his siege towers under the cover of darkness, and then filling a portion of the the moat, the Crusaders actually managed to get in touching distance of the wall. With Godfrey leading the front, the attackers scaled the defenses, and they found themselves inside the city on the 15th of July, 1099. What followed was a mass slaughter of Muslims and Jews. Although the figures, like there was all these stories at the time of 10,000 to 75,000 people were killed, Honestly, it, it's probably not that case. It's more likely an exaggeration. There were a number of figures uh, that were put forward by actual like Muslim accounts, which, if anything, they would be ones to exaggerate in this scenario, that stated that the amount was more close to around three or four or 5,000 of the city's approximately, at the time, 30,000 people. But it's still a lot. That's saying that, hey, this army just broke in and they killed anywhere between 10 to... 20% of the entire population of the city like it's it was bad it was a slaughter and so within a month a large Egyptian army arrived to take back the city but then they were defeated at Asalon uh, and so for the first time being at least you know the Jerusalem was back in Christian hands and you had Godfrey of Bouillon the hero of the siege was made king of Jerusalem Back in Italy, ironically, Pope Urban II had died on the 29th of July in 1099, so he didn't even learn that the crusade had been successful. Like, this whole thing that he built and made, like, he wanted this to happen, he died just before learning that it actually worked, that the crusade was successful, which, I mean, it's just just really funny, (laughs) in my opinion. It's, like, dark. And so having accomplished their mission, many of the Crusaders now return to Europe, some with riches, a few with, you know, some items, some souvenirs. But honestly, most of them just came out with very little. Like, that's the, that's the thing that sucks.
1: They sold their houses to go on this crusade and yes! came out with nothing. Yes. And also the guy died before... Oh, dude, this whole thing was just so sad. And then also they committed a horrible war crimes.
0: Oh, yeah, no, so many. Definitely so many. But... No, but- it's just it's it's just crazy here right that all these people they mortgaged their properties they did all of this stuff expecting that when they went they would get rich off of it and the overwhelming majority of them did, just did not even break even like they lost money from all of this
1: I don't feel bad <laughs> I, w- I want to be like oh no but I don't feel that bad I mean it was a good story they made some entertaining you know Yep. It was it was interesting, for sure
0: So now that being said, a bunch of them go home But the problem is not everyone can go home because You know, y- you need people to actually defend The territory that you just conquered
1: Oh no, they had to stay?
0: Well, some did, some did A fresh wave of crusaders arrived in Constantinople Back in 1100 And these were organized by a man by the name of Raymond of Toulouse And so on the 17th of May, 1101 Caesarea uh, was captured And on the 26th of May Acker fell too Ominously, though, for future Crusades, the Muslims were becoming more familiar with Western battle tactics and weapons, something that they weren't before. And so in September of 1101, a Crusader army of the Lombards, the French, and the German Knights were defeated by the Seljuks. Things were only at this point going to get way more difficult for Western armies over the next two centuries. Meanwhile. Alexios had not given up on Antioch, and he sent a force to attack the city, or at least isolate it from the surrounding Crusader-held territories. Bowman had left, though, and returning to Italy, he convinced Pope Pascal II and the French King Philippe I that the real threat now to the Christian, like, new Crusader states was actually the Byzantines, and their treacherous emperor, and this Church of filthy orthodoxes that had to be eliminated and so they went ahead and launched an invasion into Byzantium (laughs) the precise location was Albania and it was launched in 1107 but it failed largely because Alexios had actually mobilized his forces to meet them and had the best troops that he could have mustered and the Pope From this, just went okay. You know, screw it, and abandoned the support of the campaign. What? Yeah. So he just said, "Screw it, I'm not doing this shit." This
1: entire thing has been just so. (laughs) Welcome to medieval
0: politics. Literally, welcome to medieval politics.
1: I I can't believe I've never heard any of this before. This is this is some insane. I mean, I I don't even know how to respond to it. I I can't believe I've never heard of any
0: of this. Yep. And so Bowman, the guy that we talked about earlier, was forced to accept. Subservience. the Byzantine emperor, and basically swear fealty to him, <laughs> and that thus he would rule Antioch in Alexios' name. So he just became a vassal, effectively. This pattern then set up everything in the future for the gradual carving up of different crusader states in the territory. So, in the end, the First Crusade was successful. It was successful in the sense that Jerusalem was recaptured but in order to ensure that the holy land would stay in christian hands it was necessary for various western settlements to be established in the levant collectively known as the crusader states or the latin east or ultramere the you'd have to have creator uh, orders of knights that would be created in order to defend them and then clearly you would need a supply of new crusaders to be ready at any given moment in order to actually defend things and you would need the taxes to pay for it you would there were so many things it it, it just really goes back into the thing they took this land took it amazingly like with some great success and now that everything was said and done they're like okay well shit now we actually have to protect it and they just conquered this land the overwhelming majority of the people they are muslims who are not converting to christianity you can't exactly recruit them into an army because they're not going to be trustworthy. So this means that you need a constant influx of people from outside to come in.
1: This was just really poorly planned. This is like if you just bit off way more than you could chew, but if you conquered way more
0: than you could control. I mean, if effectively. So they realized that to... Like, when we talk about all this slaughter and all this horrible stuff that happened, right? Yes. But they very quickly realized that, okay, we're now in a land that has... It's just filled with Muslims. And if we piss off the population enough, they're going to revolt against us. And so ironically, ironically, this led to the development of supporting more diverse local populations. They grew more tolerant of non-christian religions of course they're still restricted there's still rules against it like there's still taxes there's still all these extra fees and things but for the time they were actually they became more tolerant than they would have been if they were say back in france or back in germany or back one of these other territories because you had to be otherwise your own people at that point were going to turn against you and so despite the continued recruitment drive in Europe and the attempts to create a permanent calling Kingdom, kingdom, I mean, over time, it would prove to be impossible to really hold on to this. We're going to get into that later, but Jerusalem itself would fall again in 1187, and there would be a total of eight official crusades and a lot of other unofficial crusades that would go on through the 12th and the 13th centuries
1: was this one an official crusade even the people's crusade portion of it or was the people's crusade an unofficial crusade and then like the actual crusade
0: was the the people's crusade wasn't a real crusade it was part of the first crusade so it just gets
1: lumped in but if the other actual crusade didn't happen it would be just like nothing
0: everything that we've covered in here everything from beginning to end this is the first crusade
1: how many were there eight eight
0: yes now, mind you, some of the, this is one of the longer ones. Some of them are really short. Like, we're going to cover videos here. We're basically going to go through Crusade number five and six, et cetera. Like, we're, j- we're going to be able to go through several at the same time. Was easy. there
1: actually a Children's Crusade? I get that yes. comment a lot on TikTok. Yes. And I think we should address it. Yes. there Like, with children? Yes. Like, how old? It varied. Are you joking? No. I have no comment.
0: Yeah, so that that We're gonna get into that That's that that that's gonna be its own interesting thing
1: That's <sighs> actually Wow, I just There's so much to unpack First of all, I thought there were like two crusades max Like I didn't think there was actually eight of them And then I didn't know there were unofficial crusades And I also didn't think Dick Jones crusade was real I just was like, okay, they're trolling in my comments Obviously
0: Nope, it happened
1: That's fun
0: Yep And so there would be a number of crusades after this There would be a lot of unofficial crusades so, uh, for example, there there were the Reconquista, in which you know that created Spain of all those Iberian kingdoms. The Reconquista was a crusade, like that. That in and of itself was a crusade. That that was a, it was a century. The Reconquista is a series of wars over a large period, but it's generally also considered a crusade. You had the the Teutonic Order and the other knights groups that were doing crusades in the Baltics up in the north around like ancient Lithuania that's what they were taking at that time there has been a lot of different things and we we can go into so much detail about so much more there really is a lot but that right there is the end of the first crusade and I think that's going to end things for today's video
1: I think it would be really cool to actually look
0: oh sorry No, I just realized I said video, not podcast. Oh, they
1: don't mind. They're used to it. You do that every time. But I think it would be really cool to look at, like, attractive religions throughout time and how they developed and how they branched out of, like, you know, Abraham and everything and then how they ended up where they are and all the conflicts that arose. I don't know. It's just, I like learning. Oh, there's so
0: much. There really is.
1: I just learned ways too much. I learned things I didn't even want to learn. So thank you so much.
0: Yes. Now, if you didn't know, you understand the word pogrom.
1: I wish i didn't understand it with pogrom because pogrom should not have ever happened but either way thank you for teaching me
0: of course and i hope that you all enjoyed listening to this episode now what we are going to be doing is we are going to be uploading this right now to patreon uh today it is march 16th and it's a wednesday so that's when we're recording it it's going up on patreon right now if you are listening to this episode right now then hey awesome thank you for being a patron If you're listening to this on Friday, then please note, hey, if you want uh, early access to all the episodes, then please make sure to go out and check out our Patreon. If you pay a dollar a month, you not only get early access to all these episodes, but simultaneously you are going to get an additional bonus episode that is released every Friday. And what we're doing, I'm going to be writing a lot more of these here, covering the future Crusades. And if you are listening to, I don't know, honestly, when you're listening to this, at this point, I'm pretty much rambling. But the gist of it is, we're going to record a lot of these, and we're going to upload essentially all of them to Patreon. So if you don't want one episode per week for the next three weeks or four weeks, however long it takes me to do this, then all of the episodes of this should be out on Patreon by mid-next week. All of them? Oh, I'm thinking I can do all of them. That's my goal. I, I want to do as many as we can. And then that's less work for us to have to do later.
1: Perfect. Let's. Let's do it.
0: All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have a good rest of your day and goodbye. My folks. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club.